Episode number six, Building Healthy Habits. Welcome to the About Health and Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Allen, a recovered sugar addict turned certified nutrition coach on a mission to help women learn how to balance their hormones and optimize their fertility. On this podcast, we have conversations with experts about all things health, hormones, wellness, nutrition, and more to give you the information, tips, and tricks you need to take control of your health and feel amazing in your body. I am so happy that you're here and I can't wait to dive in. Hi guys, welcome back to the show. I hope you're ready for another solo episode. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about one of the most important things when it comes to actually having a healthy lifestyle, and that's building healthy habits. And the reason that this is so important is because without the habits, all of the education and the knowledge and the motivation around wanting to be healthier or knowing how food affects our body, it doesn't really produce any effect. And there's this really famous quote that says, knowledge is power. But I actually like this other quote better, applied knowledge is power. And I first heard this from Rachel Hollis. She talks about this a lot, that when you can apply knowledge, that's where we really start to see it have an impact on changing your life. Until then, it's just kind of floating around in your brain. And it's great to know things. Of course, that's the first step. But a lot of people know that they need to be taking care of their health. I would say most educated people these days, they know that the way they eat affects their health. And that has a really profound impact on the way you live your day-to-day life, your long-term health and lifestyle. And still, not everybody is doing it. There's a really big difference between knowing and doing. Knowing that you need eight hours of sleep is different than actually being in the habit of sleeping for eight hours every single night. Knowing that a healthy breakfast will help stabilize your blood sugar doesn't actually do anything for you. It's eating a blood sugar-friendly breakfast every single day that stabilizes your blood sugar. So in this episode, we're going to talk all about how to actually build healthy habits. And a lot of the ideas that I'm going to share with you have been influenced by the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's one of my favorite books. I think it's an incredible read for everybody. I recommend it literally to everybody because the book is all about the science of how to actually build habits that stick. And there are so many genius nuggets of wisdom in this book. I'm just going to scratch the surface with what I talk about here. So if this episode interests you at all, I really want you to go get that book. Tell me your thoughts on it. And basically the premise of the book, and this is captured in the title, is that small habits really add up to produce huge changes. It's really, really easy for us to get distracted by what seems like the big flashy activity Let's say, for example, people will tell me, oh, you know, I once tried this 14-day detox or cleanse or diet program, and you feel like that's going to be the jumpstart that changes everything, and that's when you're going to get healthy. But inevitably, people always say, you know, it was so extreme, and it was so hard to keep up with, and it was just not something that actually gave them the skills and the habits to bring into their daily life, and they end up, you know, completely throwing most of what they did out the window because it's not sustainable. It's not about building habits. And I know that a lot of us are inclined to think that's what's going to be the thing that really helps us and really makes the change. But for most of us, it's not. It's not about making big changes. Most of us are underestimating the power of small changes. And when you make small changes, but do them really, really consistently, that's where it adds up and we start to see huge results. And if any of you are math people, if you get just 1% better every single day for a year, mathematically, you actually end up doing things 37 times better by the end of the year. And this could be true for anything. It could be true for playing piano or playing chess or learning a new language. And the same is true of the opposite, by the way. If you start slipping into bad habits, it just feels like one little thing. It's not such a big deal. I skipped the workout today. I you know, ate something really unhealthy for lunch. If that happens once in a while, it's not a big deal. But when that starts turning into a habit every single day, you wind up in a completely different place. And one of the ways that we see this a lot is with eating sugar, right? If you go back a few episodes, I talked about the blood sugar roller coaster and how the added effect of having lots and lots of sugar every day for months and decades and years 
is what clogs our liver, is what causes things like insulin resistance. So you can go back to that episode. I think it's episode number four. I'll link it in the show notes. If you want a better understanding of the compounding effect that eating a lot of sugar has on our hormones. And another way to think about this, if you still haven't jumped on this train, is imagine an airplane flying from LA and it's flying east, okay? It's headed straight for New York. If the pilot were to turn the steering wheel just three and a half degrees south, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but over many, many miles, that airplane is gonna wind up in DC instead of New York. And that's what I like to think of our habits as. They are the steering wheel that is setting us on the direction that we ultimately want to wind up in a certain destination. So whenever I work with clients, we start off by talking about that destination. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to see yourself in terms of your health? Do you want to be the person who is waking up every day and exercising? Do you want to be someone who has food ready to go in your fridge? Do you want to be someone who wakes up with energy? For so many of the people I work with, energy is a huge, huge goal for them. They feel so tired. They feel like they get home from work and they just want to slump on the couch and they don't have energy to do anything. And so any of their free time outside of work is just feeling like they're struggling with their energy instead of living their life and enjoying it. And if you want that to be the destination, being in a place where you have a ton of energy, you really have to think, well, what are the habits that are going to steer me there? And this means that it's really a slow process. And there's also this quote in the book that I love, good habits make time your ally and bad habits make time your enemy. If you have good habits, you can bank on the fact that as time goes on, they're going to keep leading you closer and closer to that destination. But bad habits over time become disastrous. So I really want to talk about how to build healthy habits, how to build those habits that will steer us on the course we want to be going in. And in the book, James Clear breaks down this idea that in order for a behavior to turn into a habit, which means that it becomes automatic, we don't have to spend a lot of mental energy deciding, should I do this? When should I do this? It's just something that is a part of us and it's a part of our routine. In order to become that, the behavior has to meet four different criteria. The behavior should be obvious, attractive, easy, and satisfying. And we're going to go through these four different laws. We're going to break them down. We're going to talk about how they can apply to different types of healthy habits that you might be interested in implementing into your life. So the first one is making things obvious. And for a lot of us, it starts with our current habits. We have a lot of current habits that are actually not obvious to us. So if you think about certain habits like biting your nails or scrolling on your phone, a lot of times we do these things mindlessly. We're not even really paying attention to or making a conscious decision to sit and scroll on our phone, right? How many of us really say, I really want to learn something or I really want to get inspired right now. I'm going to go on Instagram and search for inspiration. Many of us do not do that. You don't even remember the moment you actually took out your phone and it was less of a decision, more of an automatic habit. So one thing that is really going to help us is bring those unconscious habits into the conscious. Thinking through your morning routine, your daily routine, do you wake up and hit snooze? Do you go on your phone first thing in the morning and check your email or check social media? And becoming aware of what habits are already taking up time in your day is really important before we start even thinking about implementing new habits. So one thing that you could do that will really help is write this down, write on a little piece of paper, what are typical habits that you do? And these could be things that are good, bad, completely neutral. For example, in the morning, do you wake up and then hit snooze? Do you get up after the second alarm and brush your teeth? I know for me, I brush my teeth. I wash my face. I'm actually a flosser, so I'll floss my teeth. I will get dressed. Honestly, for me, usually I have to look all over my room and my closet and all over the apartment, honestly, to find all the different articles of clothing that I want to wear. So taking, taking the time to get dressed takes a lot longer than I would want. Then I wake up my kids. I have breakfast with them. I make a coffee and then we run out the door to go take the kids to daycare. So those are all things that are happening automatically in my schedule. I'm not thinking about them. It's less of a conscious decision. It's just how my morning routine goes. And once you have that list of what habits already exist in your day, you can rate them. Give them a little plus, a minus, or an equal sign to, to designate are they positive, negative, or neutral habits. I would say most of my habits in the morning, for the most part, are positive or neutral, right? I would say getting dressed, it's a neutral thing, but the fact that I have to look all over my apartment because I never put laundry back where it's supposed to be is negative. 
I end up wasting like 10 minutes and 10 minutes in the morning when you're trying to get two kids out the door is a long time. If I had an extra 10 minutes, that could make a really big difference. Okay. So then when we want to think about integrating a new habit, it's much easier to know what's already existing in our schedule. And there were researchers who looked at this. They wanted to see what group would best stick to a new habit. So they looked at these people who wanted to exercise more. And there were a few different groups. The first was a control group. They were just supposed to measure how often they exercised over a period of time. The second group was what they called the motivation group. They gave this group different motivational content, quotes, education, all these different things around why exercise was great. And they also had to record how often they exercised over a period of time. And the third group was the group who made a very specific plan. They had to write down every single week when and where will you exercise. And it turns out the group that most stuck to this habit was not the motivation group, but the specific planning group. The group who said, I know exactly when I'm going to exercise. It's going to be Sunday morning at 7.30 a.m. for 20 minutes doing this YouTube workout video. The more detailed, the more likely they were to follow through with it. And motivation is great. It's not to take away from motivation. That group did more than the control group. But motivation should be used to help you make a plan. And I always encourage my clients to do this, whether the habit they want to be working on is meal prep or exercise or going to bed earlier. If you just say, I want to go to bed earlier, it's really, really hard to actually implement that. What does that mean? I know for me this week, I've actually been really working on this. I want to get to bed by 10.30. And my plan is that I need to be in bed at 10.10. I know myself. I know my body. It takes me about 20 minutes to wind down. And if I'm just being honest, if I'm still showering at 10.15, or if I am attempting to put my laundry away at 10.15, which honestly, I'm never really doing. That's why I can't find my clothes in the morning. I'm not going to be asleep at 10.30. But getting really clear on for me, okay, 10.30 is the time I'm going to be in my bed. I'm imagining my evening routine and what has to lead up to that. I'm much more likely, and I have been actually much more consistent with following through on that. Why is it important to get so specific about when and where we're going to do this? First of all, it grounds the idea of this behavior in reality, okay? It's not just this vague, intangible energy of wanting to do something new, like, I want to be healthy. That's great. I love that you want to be healthy, but what does that even mean? Like what actions are you actually going to take in order to do that? And it's very easy when you have a general motivation to do something like that for it to just kind of fly around in your head and not result in any specific action. But when you give something a time and a place in your schedule, you imagine yourself doing it in a location, it really grounds that habit in reality. Second of all, when something is anchored in your schedule, then when other things come up, you can see how those affect your ability to keep to that habit. So let's say, for example, you're aiming for the goal of eating breakfast every day and you decide you're going to have breakfast every morning at 7.15 before you have to start your commute to work at 7.45. Now, if you wake up at 6.30, you're able to have that breakfast. But if you hit snooze and you sleep until 6.50, you know, oh, I pushed off getting dressed and taking a shower and washing my face and brushing my teeth, you know exactly what's going to happen when you hit that snooze button. And it's the same thing with exercise or meal prep. I always tell my clients this, time for meal prep does not fall out of the sky, okay? It's really the last thing I wanna do most weeks, but when I have it written in my schedule, let's say it's Tuesday afternoon, I'm gonna do my meal prep. Then if someone asks me, hey, can we actually reschedule our session and meet Tuesday afternoon? I know that in that, answer, I'm either saying, no, I'm respecting the boundaries of this is when I do my meal prep. Or if I say yes, I have to either move that meal prep time to somewhere else in my calendar or it disappears. It gets thrown out of the schedule. And I think this is another thing that so many of us, we get to the end of our weeks and we're like, I really wanted to do X, Y, or Z, but I just never found the time. I ran out of time. When something is anchored in your schedule, you don't run out of time. You plan the other things around it. And think about how often you do this with other things, with a dentist appointment, with a doctor's appointment, right? You don't just say, oh, you know what? I could meet my friend for coffee instead, so I'm not going to go to that doctor's appointment. Most of us say, nope, I can't meet for coffee, then let's do it later because that is anchored into our schedule and we feel 
annoyed if we miss it, we have to reschedule it, right? So anchoring something in your schedule really does make a big difference. The next way that we can make a behavior obvious is to set up your environment so that the cues of this habit are obvious. So let's take the example of having breakfast, okay? The easiest way to do this is have your breakfast ready, made in advance, and have it be the first thing that you see when you open your fridge. Another way that you can make it obvious is literally putting up a post-it note on your refrigerator or on your wall that says, remember to eat breakfast. It should literally be that there are cues in your environment reminding you to do that. And I always recommend to people, when you meal prep, when you make food that you want to be choosing, and I always remind people, what you see really does affect what you crave. So make sure that you store your food in glass containers. Make it easy to spot, okay? Don't put that breakfast in the very back of the fridge behind all the jars of condiments, and you have to move a million things around to get to that breakfast. No, have it at the forefront, even if it means rearranging your fridge, because that is going to make it just a little bit easier for your brain to turn this into a habit. So the first law is make it obvious in whatever way that you can. We're going to move on now and talk about the second law, which is make it attractive. Okay. We want this behavior to be attractive. And I want to explain what this means because I don't just mean something should be good looking. In the book, when he discusses what attractive means, he talks about all this really interesting research around animals and animals who respond to different kinds of stimuli, different birds responding to seeing birds with certain beaks or certain markings on their feathers and how when researchers study these things, they see that when they exaggerate the stimulus, let's say a bird is looking for a specific pattern on another bird's feathers, like a red dot, if they make a bigger red dot or if a mother bird is looking for eggs in a nest and they take these big golf, uh, not golf ball size, volleyball sized eggs, the birds will have an exaggerated response, okay? Because the, the stimulus is more attractive in that way. Humans also do this. And one way that we really see this play out is with junk food. Our ancestors evolved to have a really strong response to caloric foods like sugar, salt, and fat, because back in the day, these were the macronutrients that we wanted to stock up on. If we had a lot of these and they were abundant, then we could survive the harsh winters and the famines and things like that. So today, when we have a lot of processed foods, why are they so delicious? And why do we respond to them so much? Because they have added salt, added fat, added sugar. They have these hyper intense sensory experiences that they provide us that we don't get as much from natural foods. And I think it's also worth knowing when we're working on habits around food specifically, food companies are spending millions and millions of dollars trying to create the most attractive products, right? They want the most perfectly crispy potato chip, the most perfectly chewy chocolate chip cookie. They do something called enhancing dynamic contrast. So this is something that we don't find in nature. It's putting two very different textures together that just create this incredible sensation, right? When you take an Oreo, you have that crunchy chocolate cookie and the creamy vanilla frosting center. When you have that melted cheese on a crunchy pizza crust, okay, that kind of dynamic contrast is very, very attractive to us. And these hyper palatable foods are really easy to become foods that we reach for habitually because of how they're engineered. And I want to just remind you that things like carrots and peppers do not have these multi-million dollar companies behind them trying to make their taste hyper palatable. They actually don't do that. When we eat a pepper or a carrot, it's not like every single bite gives us a dopamine hit in the same kind of way. And we see this example with so many things nowadays in our modern world, right? When we have something like social media, for example, we get a much stronger dopamine hit from getting likes on Instagram than we do from having interpersonal connection and going out and actually talking to real human beings. We get greater hits of dopamine when we play video games as opposed to board games. So there are so many things in our environment that have gotten us used to having these hyper-exaggerated stimuli and having these really intense responses to them, which is why it's hard for a lot of people to switch to eating healthy. Like when people tell me, oh, I love junk food. How could you expect me to eat healthy foods? I'm like, in a way, you're right. We've just been wired at this point. We're so used to having all of these chemically enhanced foods that it's hard for us to get satisfaction from real natural foods. So one thing that we can do is kind of hack this law 
and try to make our habits that we want to be practicing more rewarding, more attractive, because that's what really brings us back to repeating the habit. When we know that there's going to be a reward associated with it, we repeat it. That's why we keep eating unhealthy foods, right? The Oreo tastes really good. It feels like this massive reward in the moment. So we repeat it. We have another Oreo. Something that's also really interesting is that research shows us that anticipating a reward gives us as much of a dopamine hit as actually receiving the reward itself. So let's take a drug addict because they've studied this in drug addicts. For them, seeing the drug gives them a dopamine rush that is just as intense as actually doing the drug. And that's why sometimes you know they could see it and be like, oh my gosh, I need to have that and act really impulsively. And so what he suggests doing in the book is using a technique called temptation bundling to make your desired habit more attractive. And what this basically entails is finding a habit or an activity that you really do love. You already feel like it gives you a reward and bundling that up with the habit that you want to be practicing, but maybe doesn't feel as rewarding. So I'll give you an example that I do in my own life with this. I spoke about meal prep already. I think meal prep is the number one thing that makes it easy for me to actually eat healthy meals, but I don't love doing it. I don't love taking an hour and a half to two hours to chop stuff up and have to think in advance about all the food I'm going to make. It's just not actually that fun for me. But there are other things that I do love doing, like listening to podcasts and watching The Office and listening to really good music. So what I will often do is I'll save a really good podcast, like not the educational ones that I listen to, which I also enjoy, but sometimes I listen to more fun ones, more entertaining ones, and I'll save those for when I do meal prep. And that makes me actually anticipate and get excited for meal prepping because I know that I'm going to listen to my favorite podcasts then. This is another tip and trick that works really well for people for exercise. So if you have a specific show on Netflix that you love, but you only allow yourself to watch it while you're walking or exercising, or if you're trying to use less social media and you say, okay, if I go for a walk, that's when I'll check my feed on Instagram or TikTok. Okay. And the reason that this is helpful is because more probable behaviors will reinforce the less probable behaviors. You're probably anyways going to watch that show. You're probably anyways going to check your social media. So when you bind them with those activities that you want to do, it can really help them feel more attractive. And because we know that anticipating really helps us feel that reward, I encourage my clients to do this a lot. Dream about that feeling that you're going to have when you accomplish this habit. If it's getting stronger or being more toned or having that food in the fridge when you're like, oh my gosh, I get home from work and there's just food ready to go and it's so easy, like really sit with that and imagine what it's going to feel like when you reach your health goals. And I find that that's a really, really motivating and not just motivating, but it it gets people to then actually follow through with the actions because they're tapping into that feeling. They're borrowing that happiness from their future self that they feel when they've accomplished those things. They're borrowing it now to start becoming that person in the moment right now. And that person who imagines how happy and satisfied they are when dinner's already been cooked and it's ready to go when they get home from work, that person is so much more likely to then do the meal prep in the beginning of the week because they feel a little bit of that sense of reward in the actual moment. The third law of turning a behavior into a good habit is to make it easy. So this, I think, is one of the most weighted laws in this formula, okay? When something is attractive and obvious, but really, really hard, we're much less likely to follow through with doing it. And it's something that I think is hard for a lot of people to put into practice because so many of us are waiting for things to line up perfectly. I want you to remember that perfect is the enemy of good. You do not need to do anything perfectly. Whenever I give my clients their meal plans, I tell them, I've literally never worked with someone who's done it all perfectly. I've never, ever worked with someone who's eaten three, quote unquote, perfect meals a day because there's no such thing as a perfect meal. But nobody be, but nobody needs to be eating three perfect meals a day. That's not what you need to do. You just need to be doing things consistently and good enough in order to improve. This is also so true with exercise, Right. I don't know if I give 100% of my effort in every single time that I exercise. I probably show up with like 85% effort. I do like exercise. I try hard. Maybe I come with 90, okay? But it's not 100. If you're showing up 
three or four times a week with 90% effort in your workouts, you are going to see massive results if you keep repeating that over time. Even if you never, ever get to the point where it's 100%, you're still going to be so much better off and you will be a million times better off than if you never started exercising to begin with. Because if you're waiting until a day where you're like, I could give 100% effort, I could do the perfect workout, you're much less likely to do it. And if you're skipping, you're not improving. So in order to make it easy, we want to reduce as much friction around your habit as possible. And friction is the number of steps between you and your habit. In the case of making healthy foods, that could be going to the supermarket, having to cook, chopping everything up, cleaning everything up, um, organizing your fridge, you know, all those kinds of tiny little things that add up and make a habit feel really, really annoying. How can we make those things easier? And this really depends on the person, their specific lifestyle, their specific situation. If you are someone who has the ability to order groceries online, that might take away a lot of the friction. If you're able to have a private chef, you know, that could take away a ton of the friction. I know most of us say, oh, if I had someone else who could cook all the healthy meals for me, I would do it no problem. I first of all, don't always believe that. I don't think it's that simple because I know sometimes people do have healthy food in front of them and they don't make those healthy choices. But you know what? It would make it a lot easier for many of us. And I know most people listening to this podcast are not having private chefs cook all of their healthy meals for them. But think about if there are small things you could do that would make the process feel less overwhelming. I'll give you a few examples of what I do. So I batch a lot of my spices together. And the reason for this is because whenever I look at a recipe... If it's really long and there are like 25 different ingredients, even if 15 of those are spices, I'm just like, oh, this is too annoying, too many steps. I don't want to do it. And I'm less likely to actually end up making that dish. But even something that has, let's say, four spices, like most of my roasted veggies, roasted chicken, things that I like to meal prep in advance, they have salt, pepper, garlic powder, onion powder, you know, the basics. And some, some things have more than that. What I'll do is at the beginning of the month, I'll measure out the exact ratio of all the spices that I like and I'll put it in a single jar. And it's not that then when I take out, let's say, frozen cauliflower and sprinkle on this mixture, it's not that it takes that much less time, but if I'm able to just take out that one jar, it's at the front of my spice cabinet and I don't have to go look for all the jars and open all four of them and then put them all away at the end, for whatever reason, it feels a lot easier. It really does. Another way that I do this is by working out at home. And if you ask me what I think would be perfect, I would love to join a really nice gym that had a ton of equipment and maybe even join the gym that has a pool near me because I feel like I would get a better workout that way. But I know myself and all the things that are involved in doing that. It means getting dressed and packing my bag and leaving the house and doing so many things that just create so much more friction around it. So I don't. I have a few really simple pieces of equipment. I have a mat. I have some weights. I have yoga blocks. And I almost always work out from home. And because it's so easy for me to just work out from home, I do it five to six days a week. And even if I never get to the point where I'm working out at a gym, maybe one day I will when all my kids are out of the house because right now with little kids, it just doesn't feel like something that's going to make sense for me. Maybe one day I'll get there. Maybe one day I won't. But you know what? It doesn't really matter because I'm moving my body every single day. Another tip that really helps make your behavior easier is to use the two-minute rule. And in the book, James Clear talks about this in a really, really cool way. He talks about this idea of someone who really wants to get fit. And they have these goals around fitness, but they've never exercised before. And if you were to tell that person, you need to start going to the gym every day for 45 60 minutes, there's no way they would be able to take that on. But if you break down the habit into a two-minute habit, they're much more likely to commit to it. So he tells the story of this guy who every single day commits to putting on sneakers, every single day for a week. And then he just gets in this habit of putting on sneakers. And then the next week, he decides to add on to that habit. So he decides he's going to drive to the gym. Okay, he gets in his car, he drives to the gym. Getting in the car is the new two-minute habit, okay? I don't know how long the drive took, but getting in the car after he puts it on, on his sneakers. Okay, he gets to the gym, he parks, and then he turns around and goes home. And he does this every single day for a week. And then he adds on to the habit again. The next habit is getting out of the car, going to the gym and picking up a weight. 
And every single week, he adds on, you know, this really tiny two minute action that ends up leading to more and more and more. And at the end of the story, you know, this guy, he's going to the gym for an hour every day. He gets super fit. He's lost all this weight and it's become a huge part of his life and something that's just automatic. Now, I don't think working out for an hour every day is the goal for most people. I don't even think that should be the goal for most women. That's besides the point. The point of the story is just to show that when you get really good at consistently showing up for a habit, you're able to then get better at that habit by increasing the duration or increasing the difficulty. So let's say with exercise, it's not always about making it longer and longer. I don't think someone who is consistently exercising should just always be adding on weights until they're up to lifting you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. But maybe what they're doing is increasing the amount of like the actual weight. You're going from using a five-pound weight to a six-pound weight instead of making the exercise take longer. Okay, me, I'm really into yoga. So I went from taking 10-minute beginner classes to 10-minute intermediate classes and then making that longer, 15-minute intermediate classes, 20-minute intermediate classes. There are many different ways that you could get better at the habit and the behavior itself. But starting off with just showing up consistently is really the gateway to getting to that higher level habit. And I find that this is especially helpful with exercise, with sleep. Sleep, it's super, super helpful. Most people who are late night owls and stay up until midnight or one in the morning, they can't just start going to bed at 10. Like your body won't let you make such a massive shift. But what you can do is say, okay, I'm gonna aim for five minutes earlier. And if you're going to bed at one every single night, say I'm going to be asleep at 12.55 and practice that for a week. And then the next week, maybe you move it to 1250 and you go really, really slowly until you get really good at that habit. And then maybe you're going to bed at 11 and maybe that's the earliest you get. You never get to that point where you're going to bed at 1030, but I promise you, you will see a drastic improvement in your energy and your health and how you feel if you're going to bed at 11 versus going to bed at one in the morning. Another way that I really recommend applying this habit is if you want to start a habit of meditation. Okay, meditation can feel really, really intimidating. I know it took me probably like 20 tries of doing it until I really got into it and actually started enjoying it. But nobody starts out with like a 30 or 40 minute meditation. Okay, that even now I've been meditating for a while and that sounds really long to me. The most I've ever really done is probably 25 minutes and it's long. But you could start out with two minutes. And after you get really good at doing it every morning for two minutes, you add on, maybe you go up to five minutes, then you go up to 10 minutes. And as you do it more consistently, the idea of doing it in a more challenging way becomes so much more accessible because you've already started to shift your identity. After practicing meditation, even for two minutes every single morning for a month, you're like, hey, I'm someone who meditates. And I think this is another really big piece of building good habits. It's the identity. I know that for me, when I started out my health journey, I was just taking it day by day, okay? I did not consider myself a healthy person. I was very much identifying as a sugar addict and the junk food girl and the baker. And I can't tell you exactly what day it shifted, but at some point, I was just trying to get through every day, doing the best I could for my health. And after a bunch of months, I was like, you know what? I've always resisted this identity of like being the salad girl or being the healthy girl because that's just not who I felt like. But if I looked at the evidence of the pattern of my behavior over the last several months, I was like, I'm moving my body. I'm focusing on sleep. I'm eating healthy foods. You know what? I am a healthy person. And the more I started to embody that identity of I am a healthy person, I'm someone who cares about my health. I'm someone who treats my body right. It got even easier to show up for these different healthy behaviors. So any way that you find it easier to help yourself practice these habits, really lean into that because I do think making it easy is one of the best ways to ensure that it sticks. Another way to think about this is make it hard to not show up for your habit or make it hard to practice the bad habits. So if you cook and do your meal prep and make the food in advance, it's really hard not to actually eat that food. You're going to feel really bad if you order takeout and you're like, oh, I'm wasting all this food that I already cooked right? If you 
pay for an exercise class in advance. That's another way of kind of holding yourself accountable to it, right? You feel like you're wasting money if you then don't show up. I know a lot of my clients feel this way when they work with me, when they've paid for nutrition coaching. They're like, okay, someone else is holding me accountable. I'm going to feel really bad if I don't show up. Like if they just don't come to our session and I email them, hey, where are you? They're going to be like, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. I left Lauren hanging. And they don't want to be coming to their sessions and be like, yeah, I haven't made any changes, right? It's a bad feeling. So making it hard for you to not do your good habit is another way to ensure that you stay with it and you stay committed to it. Sometimes you could do one single action that makes it easier to be consistent with your habit. So for example, let's take water, okay? You want to be drinking higher quality water, install a water filter. It's not something you have to be worrying about every day, but you're always going to be drinking more pure, less toxic water. If you want to be spending less time on screens, get a TV out of your bedroom. Get the TV out of your house altogether, okay? We don't have a TV at home. And I never waste time watching TV because it's not even something in my house. I would have to go to a friend's house if I wanted to watch TV. Automate your grocery orders if you have your meal plans really down pat or you know generally what kinds of foods you like to have in your house. Just have it going automatically. Order it online. Do whatever you can to make these things easier for you to show up to. Now we're going to talk about the fourth law of how to turn a behavior into a habit, which is to make it satisfying. Okay, we need the action to be satisfying in order for our brain to want to repeat that habit again in the future. And the repetition is what turns a behavior from just the behavior into a habit. So in order for something to be satisfying, our brain actually has to receive pleasurable sensory signals to interpret that as, oh, this is really a satisfying activity. And the issue is that for many of us, with the healthy habits that we want to cultivate, The reward that we're really after is a delayed reward, right? There's delayed gratification. So if you want to work on your health because you want to have more energy, it doesn't usually happen that you eat healthy for a day and then you're bouncing off the walls with energy. I know for me, actually, when I really started to reduce my sugar intake, there was a week where I felt awful. I had headaches. I had cravings. I was really having withdrawal symptoms. And the reward of having better skin and better energy and better sleep didn't come for a couple of weeks. So it can be really, really challenging in the beginning when you're starting a new habit to tap into that satisfaction because it's actually not there yet when you're practicing the habit in real time. And what we can do is over time, we can train the brain to get satisfaction from a habit that will be delayed. So there are a bunch of really cute, fun tricks that you could do for this. And I've tried some of these in the past. It really helped me when I was trying to get started with working on a habit where I didn't feel the return right away. So let's say you want to be committed to moving your body more regularly and you set a goal, I'm going to exercise three times a week. You're not necessarily going to give yourself some kind of reward every single time you do the exercise, but maybe there's something on your mind of, okay, I really, you know, I've been looking at this new pair of workout leggings for a while. And you could say, every time I do a workout, I'm going to transfer $5 into a separate little account in my bank account that I'm going to designate towards buying myself those new leggings. And I don't necessarily recommend buying yourself a new pair of leggings every time you exercise. But in this way, you can build it up. You feel good every time you make that money transfer. And then after, I don't know how expensive the leggings are, but let's say you're saving up, let's say they're $50. Okay, after you've worked out 10 times, you have the money, you go out and buy them and you get a little hit of satisfaction every time you've transferred that money into the account. If you want, you can also just make a really simple chart to track your habits. I'm very type A, so I know that this works well for me. When I have a visual representation of every time that I do that habit, I either check it off on a list or I put a little sticker in the chart or I know for me with exercise, I actually, I use Peloton. I love Peloton for working out and they do it automatically for me. And I check every single time I finish a workout. I like to look at my little calendar that shows me how many times I've worked out this month and I get to see the days of the month where I've done activity There's a blue little circle with a check mark in it. And I feel good when I see that visual representation of, oh, wow, look how consistent I've been with this. It makes me feel, it makes me feel good. 
I'm able to check how I've done this month versus last month, if I've been more consistent, less consistent. And I find that visual representation to be really, really motivating. There is something that feels satisfying and rewarding in that in and of itself. Some people like to use a jar where they put a marble in every time they complete their habit. So maybe you're working on meal prepping consistently. Or maybe I tell many of my clients to do this because I know for them, just deciding what to eat for dinner is the most stressful part of everything. If they sit and Saturday night before the week starts or Sunday night, they take 10, 15 minutes to just plan out what they're going to eat and make a shopping list that will help them have the ingredients to make their healthy meals. If they do that for four weeks in a row, right? Every time they do that to put a marble in a jar or to color in a sticker on a chart, whatever, to have some kind of visual representation that shows them, okay, It's not about doing it once. It's not about doing it twice. But as time goes on and they see the marbles in that jar grow or more and more stickers on the chart or more checks in the notebook, wherever it is that they're visually able to see that they've been consistent with their habit, they start to see that as evidence. Look, this is what I do. I've done it for five weeks in a row. I've done it for 10 weeks in a row. Maybe they get to a point where they've done it for three years in a row and then they see 150 or so 156 because there's 52 weeks in a year, right? 156 little check marks. And that's where, again, probably even before that point, they're just like, this is a part of my routine. This is what I do every week. And that's where the behavior has really shifted into a habit. Okay. So you want to just be really careful about the metric that you are measuring and making sure it's something that's actually aligned with your goals. Because for most people, you know, seeing the scale move. I know it can be really motivating for some people, but there are a lot of ways that you could be doing that that are not actually in alignment with true health. Um, I know, let's say for some of my clients who track their cycle length, that's also really, really motivating for them. Usually most of the time, your cycle is not getting more regular because you are taking less care of your health. Usually if your cycle goes from 70 days to 50 days to 32 days, that is overall a sign of good health. It's a great thing to track. It can be very motivating for people. So tracking your progress and your success in some way, tracking your efforts that are actually the habits that help you get there because having a regular period is not a habit. Taking care of your health, making sure you're eating nutrient-dense foods, exercising, sleeping, those are the things that are the habits that lead to the result of having a more regular period. So make sure that you're using metrics that make sense, that feel aligns for you. Another thing that can be really helpful for this is using a habit tracker. There are tons of pen and paper ones that you could buy online. There are apps that are great for tracking habits. Whatever works for you. If you're more of a digital person, use it on your phone. If you like pen and paper, you like having it hung up in your office or your bedroom or something, get something that's on paper. But make sure that you are measuring your progress and measuring your consistency in a way that you could see, that you could check in on it and hold yourself accountable. Another way to really make sure that you are building good habits is having accountability in general. And you could do this in a number of ways. You could have an accountability buddy. And let's say you want to be exercising more. You could get a friend on board or your mom or your sister or your husband and say, okay, let's make a goal that we're going to go on walks together two or three times a week, especially if it's someone that you generally hang out with anyways already. Maybe usually you go out for coffee or for ice cream. Try doing a walk with them once a week. And when you're being held accountable to another person, we're much more likely to follow through with it. This is why a lot of people like to get personal trainers for exercise, right? Because they know they're not going to bail on their personal trainer. Again, this is where I can come in for some people. When I am your nutrition coach and you're meeting with me every week, that gives you accountability. You want to show up to our meetings having something to share and having something to show for it. So having accountability from either a professional or a friend can be really, really helpful. One other thing I have to mention when we're talking about habits that really makes a difference is having identity-based habits instead of outcome-based habits. And I want to explain what I mean, because this was something that in the book really resonated for me. It really just struck a chord. And the way that the author explains identity-based habits is that When you're working on a habit to change who you are, as opposed to just practicing certain behaviors, that's where we really start to see a shift that this becomes a habit. It becomes a part of you. It becomes automatic. And he gives this great example in the book. Let's say two people are trying to quit smoking, okay? 
and they're both offered cigarettes. The first person says, no, thanks. I don't want a cigarette because I'm really trying to quit. Okay. The second person says, no, thanks. I'm not a smoker. What's the difference? Because essentially they're both saying no to the cigarette, but what's the difference there? One person still holds the identity of a smoker. Okay. He is a smoker who's trying to quit. The second person has changed his identity. He's not a smoker. And even if they were both smoking yesterday, the person who says, I'm not a smoker is more likely to choose behaviors that enhance that identity. And many of us do this consciously and unconsciously. If you say, I really want to be working on my health, I would love to eat healthier, but I'm a sugar addict. I'm a junk food addict. I'm not really a healthy person. It's going to be very hard for you to choose behaviors that go against the identity that you hold. And this is something that if you really struggle with, I would say working with someone can be really beneficial here because changing your identity and taking steps to change your identity is a crucial piece of having this evolve into a long-term habit, a long-term lifestyle. And I know this firsthand because I never thought of myself as a healthy person, never. And it's interesting for me because my identity really shifted as I built up this evidence of practicing certain behaviors over time. And there's some ways that it has, there's some ways that it hasn't. I know one way that I would really see it play out is I felt like I was just in this groove of eating really healthy, but then I'd get together with a friend I maybe hadn't seen in a while or family members. And they were like, okay, Lauren, we saved an extra chocolate souffle for you, or don't worry, we'll order the souffle because we know you want it. And I was like, oh, actually, I'm really... I really don't want it anymore. Like my sugar cravings have gone away. It's just not the way that I eat anymore. And other people would be so shocked and surprised. And it took a long time for the way that I viewed my identity to shift. It took a long time for other people's view of me to shift. But another really interesting thing that then happened is that as this turned into like a couple of months thing into a multi-year thing, other people started to also hold this identity of me as the healthy person, which is so funny because sometimes I'll be like, you know what? I don't really care. I'll be more lax at this meal if we're going out to friends or we're out at a restaurant with people. And people will be like, oh, don't worry. I know that they have these healthy options or we made sure to make this for you because we know you like to eat healthy. And so when you shift your identity, sometimes other people end up holding you accountable. And the fact that other people expect you to do those things too also really enhances your ability to choose those behaviors that are aligned with that identity. So that's another thing I'll encourage you and invite you to think about. How can you embody the identity that you're trying to build? And how can you choose habits that support an identity versus a certain outcome? And again, I think this is especially relevant when it comes to weight and weight loss. I know so many people who have tried so many different behaviors to choose to lose weight. They haven't really worked on habits that actually promote the identity of, I'm a person who nourishes myself. I'm a person who loves to take care of myself. I am a healthy person. And it feels very, very different when you're even eating similar meals or exercising in the same way, when you're focusing on the outcome of weight loss versus the identity of, I want to take care of my body. I want to be a healthy person. Okay, there was so much jam-packed into this episode and I feel like we really only scratched the surface of habits because this is something that can be applied in so many ways and to so many different things. But I wanna give you some key takeaways. So most importantly, don't get overwhelmed by this. I want you to think about how you could apply this to one single habit, okay? Don't say, all right, I listened to this and we talked about exercise and sleep and meditation and eating and meal prepping. Don't try to do all the things at once because that is not sustainable. That is not how we actually set ourselves up for long-term success. Pick one thing. I always like to recommend that people start with breakfast. I think breakfast is a really easy win that ends up giving you a lot of actual reward pretty quickly. Um, You see that your energy starts to shift. It's a great way to balance your blood sugar. It's a really easy win early on in the day. So starting with breakfast is a really great place to start. And I love the idea of starting with food because for me, food was the gateway between, you know, my less healthy lifestyle and now my much healthier lifestyle. I needed to start with food in order to get more excited about exercise and to be able to sleep better and sleep through the night. And then when I was feeling so good, I just wanted to enhance it. And that's how I got into meditation. And for me, it was really like one thing led into the next, Um, but it could be different for you. I know when I 
interviewed Rory, she talks about how she would always have her clients start with the habit of sleep and how when they were sleeping eight hours a night, it was so much easier for them to make good choices and have the energy to do the meal prep and the exercise and things like that. So maybe for you, it's starting with sleep. Whatever it is, whatever you feel called to, pick that one thing and remember that two-minute rule. Keep it really, really small, okay? Keep the habit small. Focus on the identity that you're building around it. And remember that you are here for the long term, okay? We're in this for the long haul. This is not about the short-term wins. This is about the long-term gains. And then take steps to hold yourself accountable. So maybe for you, that means reaching out to someone else. Maybe it's saying with a friend, you are committing to walking three times a week. Maybe it's signing up for a fitness app or joining a gym or reaching out to a personal trainer. Maybe it's reaching out to me doing whatever you can to hold yourself accountable. If you want to hold yourself accountable, here's a really cute way to do it. You can sign out of all your social media accounts and change your password to like, I have done whatever the habit is. So let's say you're trying to work on having a healthy breakfast, make your password to your social accounts. I ate breakfast or I had a blood sugar friendly breakfast or something and sign yourself out. You can only sign yourself back in when you type out that password And it sounds really silly, but like you'll kind of laugh at yourself and you'll feel weird lying to yourself. And it really does help hold you accountable. So I've done this with a lot of work stuff when I have habits I'm trying to implement around work. Let's say I'm trying to be more committed to writing my weekly newsletter. I will log out of Instagram and I can only get back into my account when I wrote, I finished the newsletter. And by the way, I have numbers added to the end of that. So no one can try to sign into my account right now, but it really, really works. And then I feel like, okay, I want to check Instagram, but I haven't actually finished the newsletter and I'm not going to type that out because then I just feel like a loser that I haven't actually accomplished my habit and I'm lying to myself to just sign into Instagram. So that's a really cute habit to keep yourself accountable. I would love to hear how this episode impacted you. If you chose your habit, your thing that you're working on, let me know. Comment on my latest Instagram post. Tell me what you're working on. You could send me a DM on Instagram or email me. And of course, if you are looking for more support in building healthy habits, I'm here for you if you're interested. And I hope you guys like this episode. I love talking about habits. I love this because I think this is what actually makes the difference in people's lives. And I would love to hear what you thought about it. So don't forget to leave a rating and review for the podcast on Apple or Spotify. And I am so excited to join you again next week with another great episode. Wishing you all health and happiness. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the About Health and Hormones podcast. If you loved today's episode, I would love to know. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so I can make this podcast even better for you all. I would love to connect with you. Follow me on Instagram at Lauren Allen Nutrition or head to my website, www.laurenallennutrition.com to learn about my coaching programs and stay up to date on all of my latest workshops and courses. I am so glad you are here today and I wish you all health and happiness.